to the Soul Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Kuttner, and I'm so glad you're here. This podcast will help you find ways to live a more authentic life. Every week, I have guests on the show from yoga teachers to meditation instructors, everyone to help you feel like the best you. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Today on the show, I have Dawn Capanola, owner of the Brave Heart Center. Dawn is a marriage and family therapist. She's licensed in both New Jersey and California. She does some awesome work around self-love and self-care. So I'm so happy to have you on the show, Dawn. Thanks. So I'm so happy to be here. It's exciting. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you why you got started in marriage and family therapy. So it's, it's been a long journey. I was, you know, in my twenties, there was um, a period of time where I decided to go to see a therapist for some stuff that I was working through. And um, I just remember being terrified ahead of time, like going into these appointments with this stranger and I'm going to tell her about my life and share things that like are hard to talk about with people that are super close to me, let alone a complete stranger. And I remember her energy. I think I was probably like 21. And her energy was so kind and so calming. And I remember being terrified to go in. And then every week I would walk out and I would be like, oh my God, I feel amazing. Like I just felt better and better. And so I remember that being a really important point of change for me. Not only did I feel like somebody was listening and helping me navigate through some really hard, sticky parts of my life, um, but but they were doing it in a way that made me feel safe and made me feel empowered. Mm-hmm. And I remember at a certain point, like, I don't honestly even remember her name, but she was so important to me at that time that I remember being like, I want to do what she does. Like yeah. she's helped me personally so much that I want to be able to help people the same way. And so that really started me on the journey of, you know, at that time I was in community college and I, I got my associates and then went for my bachelor's. And I just knew at that time that I wanted to go in the direction of, of becoming a therapist. And it took a while to get there, but it definitely um, was something that from that 20 something age was a really important thing because of the personal change that I'd experienced through, through therapy. <clears throat> and not that I didn't have loving people to talk to. It's it's different when you go to somebody completely objective and you share your stuff and they have actual skills and tools to teach you so that when you're out in the world, you can practice these things to improve the quality of your life. So that was a really big, big change for me. Yeah, I think, um, you know, being seen and heard and, and somebody helping to give you practical tools is key. Yeah. Um, so what do you think makes a good therapist? So I think, you know, there's a couple of things. I think just having somebody that you feel like I, I always do a consultation with people that are interested in doing the work. And I think for me, it's really about feeling like you're talking to somebody who gets you Mm. and you get them. Right. And so it's, it's, the rapport I think is the core of it and the, the ability to feel like, wow, I feel like 
I could talk to this person. I feel comfortable saying anything to this person is the biggest thing. And my style is not the style for everyone. And I think it's really important for people to interview a couple of therapists to find the one that feels the best to them. And, you know, the people that like my style are my kind of people, right? And and I I'm the same way where, you know, not every therapist the right is therapist is the right therapist for me, but I think it's that is the core. Therapy is so hard already to work through your crap, to work through your junk. Um to get tools, to practice vulnerability, to practice authenticity. This is hard work. So if you don't feel comfortable, you don't feel safe, or you don't feel like you could build a relationship with the person that you're working with, it's not the right person for you. Right. And I, and I encourage people all the time when they call me to talk to other therapists. It's not just about like, oh, I feel like I like that person. Interview a few people so that you know it's the right fit for you because it's, it's about perspective of the therapist. It's about how they work. It's the theory, the theoretical style that they bring to the work, but it's also about their relatability, right? Like, can you relate to them? Can you, can you feel like you identify um, or feel safe with that therapist? Right. And that I think really is the core because the work's hard enough. We don't make, we don't need to, to make personality um, misfits part of the the challenge, right? There's enough challenge inherently in doing therapy work. So if you feel like you get each other, I think that's a, a good foundation. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. Um, so what are some of the token things that you work with, uh, clients on? I know, you know, therapy is such a broad thing, but, um, do you have like specific areas that you really help mm-hmm. people with? Yeah. So I, a couple of years, so I specialize with substance abuse and addiction. Um, but I work with the families of the people who are addicted. So really it's the family aspect. I used to work at a rehab. I, I ran family groups and I really helped the family members realize that they also have work to do in addiction work, right? Like it's not just, Oh, you need to stop drinking or you need to stop doing drugs. It's also how they fit together, right? The codependency and the, the, um, personal work that the family members also need to do to show up as their best selves because there it is a family disease and addiction is something that doesn't just affect the person dealing with the addiction it affects everybody in the system and I came from a family of, of addiction uh, my dad was a, an addict and, a, and an alcoholic his whole life so I really know that part of the family dynamic from the inside out and that that is I have worked with addicts but it really is my best fit to work with people who are family members. That work then led me into realizing once I bumped into Brene Brown's work, obviously, um, it, I felt like, okay, I, I, so I'll tell you the story of, of the Brene Brown stuff because it was 2013 and I just came across her Ted talk somehow. And, and it was 18 minutes that literally changed the direction of my life. Um, I watched her Ted talk and I was like, who is this woman? I'd never read a book. I never heard of her before. I watched her Ted talk. I went onto the website and I was like, I need to see what she does. I need to work with her. I don't know. I don't know anything about her, but I need to find out more. So I went to her website, found out that she does trainings for therapists. And there was one coming that February, 2014, literally I signed up for it. It was like $10,000 of, you know, uh, between the commitment of the hotel and the training 
and then the internship hours and all of the things ended up to be quite a price tag. And I was like, I don't even need to read her book. Like that TED talk was enough for me to know that whatever she's doing in the world, I need to do some of that, right? It, it resonated so deeply. Went to the training, it was amazing. And it really, since then, I, I intended to do that work with people in recovery. That was the whole reason why I started on that journey. Once I got into it, I realized this is work I wanna do with women. So it shifted my perspective of really wanting to do authenticity work and empowerment work and shame resilience work with women specifically. So I started to run women's groups on The Daring Way and Rising Strong. And it's just kind of taken off from there. And I've ran multiple groups at the many, many groups over the years at this point. Um, but it just, and I also do the work individually with people and it is just, it's a game changer. It really helps us kind of get down into those pieces of us that get stuck or get solidified with shame or with grief or with wounds. Right. And it helps us kind of go through that. And, 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 and what it does is it's an accountability process, similar to like the 12 steps, which I think is a great formula for living. It's not just for people in recovery. Right. The 12 step program is actually a really great program to apply to your life. Um, and, and her work is similar in that it really gives you a way to look at these dark aspects of your life or these places where you're not showing up or you're not speaking your truth or you're not being authentic or you're not holding boundaries. And it gives you a practice place to start to do that. So her curriculums literally walk you through, okay, now go home and practice this, right? Like this is your homework, right? Try this, see how it works, come back with information. And it just naturally fits with the style of therapy that I do, which is very much internal family systems, looking at our different parts, helping us identify and not uh, judge different aspects of us, but understand that those aspects came in to protect us, to keep us safe, and that they all have validity and they all need to get known so that they can integrate into the whole that is us at whatever age we are at this at this point. Um, and starting to work with that uh, curriculum, those curriculums really has just been such a um, it's a practice for me to stay authentic to myself because I can't teach authenticity without practicing it. Right. And it also is really about teaching people where they're giving their power away and where they need to hold a boundary and where they need to practice saying no and where they need to practice saying yes, right? Like it's just as important. And self-care and self-compassion are a really big component of that work. And that just resonates for me deeply because part of my own journey was really learning coming from a, an addict, an addicted family, you didn't really learn self-care and you didn't learn boundaries and you, you didn't learn no. Right. Yes. So really, that was a, a big practice for me. And that's why self-care really is kind of the foundation of which, which all my work stands on, yeah. because it really does show up in everything that we do, how we take care of ourselves at home, how we eat, how we sleep. You know, everything shows up in that way. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully I, that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, but it also led me to another question that I want to ask. So how do you help people, you know, kind of get rid of the shame that they have around certain things or the shame around just being themselves? I think a lot of people are afraid to be completely honest with themselves and be, mm -hmm. and show up as, you know, their true, authentic self. So right. 
how do you help them do that? You know what? I know it's like a, a long process and it, it's a lot of work, but what's some of the key strategies to helping people show up and, and be themselves and not have shame around that? Well, I think that, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just normalizing it, right? Like the fact is we are, as much as we think we are the only one that this happens to, whatever this is, um, we are just a normal, messy, beautiful human being, Hmm. right? Like life is messy. Life is complicated and it's, it's scary and it's, and it, and that's just normal for everyone. Right. And so we often think when we're having these struggles that we're the only one feeling this and that is just not true. If you're not feeling it, I'm going to have concern, (laughs) right? Because then, then maybe you're avoiding something, but the reality is we all struggle at some point. And um, that's just part of the human condition, right? And if we think that everything's just going to be happy and like Instagram filtered all the time, that's just, that's just, uh, that's part of the problem, right? Because that's not real. And as long as we know that's not real, we can enjoy it as entertainment. But once we start to believe that people really live like that, or people really look like that, or people really, um, always do the perfect thing, we're kidding ourselves, right? Because everything is messy and we're all doing the best we can. And so it's always about starting by normalizing it and and identifying what are the goals that people have individually. And if it is to go back and resolve some shame or some uh, grief or whatever, whatever is the thing for them, my process with therapy is always to minimize the negatives, right? To symptom reduction, right? We're looking for symptom reduction, negative symptom reduction, and we're looking for wider, even though authenticity is the goal, most people think that they're going to be all happy and, and blissful when they're authentic all the time. That's not true. I just got to tell you, you know, being authentic means that you're having some hard conversations with people. Sometimes it means that you're saying some hard truths. It means that you're holding a boundary that's uncomfortable. Right. And so I think the gift of authenticity is more about you feeling in alignment with yourself and your insides and your outsides matching versus approval from someone else. It's inner approval. And that's what authenticity really is. And it's not always easy and it's not always fun and it's not always happy, but it's real. Yeah, exactly right. Um, How do you help people stay congruent? I think maybe that's a conversation. Like, how do you help people stay true to themselves? Because, you know, people do have this like ingrained shame and um, it's kind of hard to break down. So what are some of the tools that you give people to stay in alignment and stay truthful? Right. So, so I think, you know, the shame pieces is so true. We, we have a society that, and you know, I'm, I'm about to be 51 in a couple months. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, when I was growing up, like shaming your children was just part of discipline, right? Like shame on you. Like how we've all heard that. Right. So like, first of all, just listening to how we shame each other in our society, in, in our parenting, in our, you know, in our inner judgments of ourselves, like we should be ashamed because our pants don't fit today or what, you know, whatever, just raising the awareness of how we shame ourselves and each other is the first step, right? Because 
because if we if we can't catch ourselves doing the negative behavior, we can't change the behavior. Awareness is everything, right? Um, so that's the first layer of just teaching people to listen to their inner voice and teaching people how to hear what they're saying to other people as well, right? So so catching yourself using shame based language is is number one, and then giving you something different to use, whether it's an affirmation or whether it's like, just, I'm okay. Right. Like just, I'm okay. I don't have to shame myself. I'm okay right now. Like just something as basic as that. And so we always start with just let's notice the behavior first and then let's try and stop that behavior, that negative behavior. And then we'll work on starting to replace it with more positive things. Right. So that's, that's basically one thing. Um, normalizing is another tool values right so for me i do a lot of work with people around their values and and that's something that not a lot of people actually think about we all assume we know what our values are but if you've not sat down and done a, a list of like okay what are my guiding you know values in my life like is honesty something really valuable are you practicing that thoroughly in, in your relationships and in your life and with yourself right like most of the work that I do with people is just helping them get honest with themselves first, right? Because, you know, we have to lie to ourselves first to do a lot of things that we will do and lie to other people out there, right? So getting people to be honest with like, yeah, actually that's not okay for me anymore, right? Whatever that is. Um, so getting people to align with their values, identify their values, and then practice seeing where they're out of alignment with them so that they can bring themselves back into alignment with them is another is another piece right so then it's really boundaries i i mean boundaries i can't even say enough about it boundaries are such a big piece of this work uh being able to say yes being able to say no being able to just speak up and say i'm uncomfortable with this whatever this is right so teaching people to find their voice and be empowered around what they're trying to create in the world and even if it makes things messier at first sometimes they feel joy in the mess because it's at least more honest, right? So, so those are some of the tools and I could, you know, probably speak for another hour about other tools, but those are, those are probably the, the biggest ones that come to mind when you ask that question. Yeah, absolutely. I think the acceptance of self is really big. And I do agree with you that, you know, we have this culture that, shames people <laughs> like you should yeah. feel shame for eating a cookie you should feel shame for showing up and practicing boundaries and right. and so that also leads me to think like there's a great deal of courage that's necessary to you know start to unravel some of these behaviors and patterns right. that don't serve us so how do you help people become brave i think that's probably the biggest thing when it comes to this work is just being brave with you know, taking that step forward, right? right. Like how right. do you help build bravery? Well, I think, and that's exactly why I named the center, the Braveheart Center, because I really yeah. find that doing this work over the last, you know, um, eight years specifically, uh, that it really does take a brave heart to, to be even willing to be like, Hey, I'm not living authentically. I need to shift this. Right. And so once I realized how much bravery it takes to even just admit that to yourself, um, I felt like that, that resonated deeply for me, which was why I named the center that. And I think 
if there's a stirring that somebody has and they reach out to me and they're like, hey, there's something that's out of alignment in my life and I need to do some work around that. To me, that's the little bit of courage that somebody needs to take a step towards living their bravest life and their most authentic life. And we just nurture it. You know, it really is like this tiny little seed that we just have to start out with, you know, deep intention to hold space for and to give it what it needs, even if all that we can give it in the beginning stages are 50 minutes a week, right? In a therapy session where we're like, okay, this is your truth. Even if you're not ready to say anything to anyone else out there that you're actually willing to hold that there's something true for you. And then we nurture that, right? We build context around it. We, we start to question like, how could that show up in your life? In what relationships do you feel the safest? And this is all part of, you know, some of this work I do without her curriculums because it's just part of the work that I do. And some of it is part of her curriculum, right? Where Brene Brown's curriculum, where she talks about like, who are your marble jar people? And those are the people that you feel safe showing, you know, this underdeveloped seedling to, right? Like this is what I'm trying to become, right? And it's about just creating a space at first for that seedling to take some root, right? To, to root a little bit. And then you start to practice and you start to go out and you start to hold a boundary. You start to ask for what you need, or you start to say no, or you start to show up more authentic in your relationships, even with yourself, right? Starting with yourself. And that's where it starts to take root. And then over time, it's amazing. I mean, I really believe my work is sacred and it is just such a gift to be able to sit on the other side of the room from someone, helping them just be willing to look in the mirror. And I just sit with them and I get to help them see what, what I see and, and help them become who they want to become. And it's really, it's amazing. And it takes time, but as that, I've never seen anyone not take that, that seedling and actually have it take hold and, and grow, you know, with, with concentrated attention and with practice and mindfulness being the number one practice tool of all, because you can't do any of this work if you're not actually mindful of the fact that there's something not working in your life, right? So for me, mindfulness is not just a daily meditation. It is a everyday, every moment lived experience of, you know, being mindful this moment that I'm trying to show up here, right? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's the number one tool. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, mindfulness and being present is actually our natural state. But the Mm -hmm. problem is we get so distracted and so thrown off by all the busy things. Um, So it's almost a challenge for people to return to a mindful state because, you know, again, our culture preaches do this, do that. and, And a lot of people are just so caught up that they're not taking time to be present. Right. And honestly, this whole uh, pandemic has, I think, in some ways been a gift. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible thing for sure. But there, I think that people have been able to find some gifts within it, within the, yeah. the horrendousness of it. Some of that being stopping all of the running around, right? Like the inability to have our kids be in five different sports and run around and do 20 different things and and lots of activities every weekend. It has forced people to be more present with their families, with themselves, with their friends. And really what I notice 
the most is people are coming back to like a core understanding of what's important, right? Family's important. Connection is important. Just how many of us just miss having a meal with our loved ones, right? Like it doesn't have to be a giant party. It could just be like a dinner with the people that we love the most that maybe we haven't been able to safely in a really long time. And so I think that that is a it is the busyness is, is part of the epidemic that is our culture. Right. And so it's really important for us to be mindful. And if, um, connection is a value, then we have to give up other things in order to cultivate that because we can't be connected to ourselves or the people we love if we're too busy. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I also want to just dive into the fact that you do yoga therapy at the center too, because I think that's really interesting. And, and I've always been interested in the ways that yoga overlaps with psychology. So if you could just shine a little bit of light on how yoga is a tool to become Mm -hmm. more self-aware or to become more present, I think that would be a great share. Yeah. So again, for me back in my twenties, I remember my first yoga class and I remember, um, being just crying, just tears running down my face because I remember just being Alex Shipman. He was the teacher and he was amazing. And I just felt blown open by this, this yoga class. And I felt so embodied in a way that I hadn't felt embodied before. And I have a, a, a history of being out of my body due to some, you know, sexual abuse when I was younger that I had to, you know, work through. And so yoga was for me, the way to like climb back safely into my body and really take up space from an embodied perspective. And that was a game changer. I think I was 21 when that happened. And that set me on the path of just being like, I need more of this in my life. So I started doing yoga and I got my first teacher training in uh, 2001. And that was a 200 hour Hatha training. And that was just amazing. And then I ended up moving to Omega Institute, which is a holistic retreat center upstate New York. And I lived there for three years. I got to live on campus and run a couple. I ran guest services for them for a few years. And I got to just do yoga and eat clean and take advantage of all these amazing shamans and healers and, um, you know, classes. And it was amazing. And I got my, my second yoga training, which was Kundalini yoga training I did with Gurmukh. And, um, then I did a prenatal Kundalini training. So I've got three certifications, uh, that total up to 500 hours. And then I've been able to, because of being a therapist, a lot of the people that, because I'm a holistic therapist, so I, I, there is a place for medication. I fully believe in the benefits of medication. And I work with people from a perspective of they are trying to not take medication or they're trying to deal with things holistically first. And then if we get through practicing yoga and meditation and eating right and doing all the things that we can actually control and manage in our, um, in our power, then we can see if it's not enough, then maybe there's a place for medication, right? So I, uh, so people come to me specifically for that and yoga being such a great embodiment practice, but also it gives us information, right? It gives us information, how to control our moods, how to control our breath, how to really show up in, in our bodies and in the moments, right? So really, uh, that was a, a big, component for me. And I just used to use it in my practice. And then I went and I trained with John Kabat-Zinn and got trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction, which also has a yoga component to it. 
And so with all these meditation trainings and I've been living at Omega for three years, you can't not take advantage of everything that they offer. Right. Um, and then the, uh, international association of yoga therapists created this, this program where you could actually get to be a certified yoga therapist. And given everything that I'd had up to that point, it just was a no brainer for me to do this, this certification. Getting that certification really allows me to combine the physical practice of yoga with the psychological practice of psychology and therapy. But when people open up a certain part of their bodies, our bodies hold trauma, our bodies hold information. So for example, whenever I would be teaching a, a hip opener class, it, you know, throughout my years of teaching, um, there would inevitably be somebody or multiple people crying in the back of the room at the end of the class, just releasing. Right. And I would always say, just stay there. Don't move, like let it out. Like our hips are officially the junk drawer of the bodies and they store all the emotions that our bodies cannot process. Right. So if you're having an opening and there's something that's coming out, let it out. We don't need to put a story to it. Right. We don't need to say it was this abuse or it was that trauma or it was this thing. Just let it out. Right. It's so there's there's a place for talk and process and there's a place for just somatic experiencing and release. Right. And so having those two together is a really amazing practice, because if we're talking about a certain level of abuse or certain level of stuckness, we can find yoga poses to access that part of the body where that would reside. Right. And so then having the two come together, we can be doing a pose together where we're doing some process work at the same time we're doing an opening pose and let things bubble up and have a space to catch them and either process them or just release them. And it's a really beautiful process. And for me, it's been a, a way that I've healed a lot of things in my own life. And then, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be able to help other people do the same thing, but it is really a combination of yoga and therapy in the same space. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful combination because like you said, things will come up in certain postures and having mm -hmm. the space to number one, be able to process it, but also have support in that. I think that's brilliant because like you said, our body and our mind are connected. Our lived right. experiences are in the body. So just giving people that awareness, like, okay, you know, if you feel like there's tightness in your hips or you're not open in your heart, there's a reason and it has to do with your lived experience. But I think it's great to just have a space to process what's going on in the yoga practice because the things right. will come out. They will right. actually come out. And honestly, it's not even just because I have a lot of clients that don't do yoga therapy with me, but even in our regular therapy, talk therapy practice, you know, conversations, I'll pause them if I can, if I get a sense, you know, it's a very intuitive process. I'll get a sense that there's something happening for them. And I'll just ask them like, Hey, what's happening in your body right now? And I'm in every session I, and my clients will tease me because it's just what I do. It's like, you know, I'll always ask them, where are they? Like what's happening physically? Because anxiety will come up or tension or grief or just bubbling up of emotions. And we want to look at what's happening. Is there contraction in our body or is there expansion and openness, right? And we want to, we want to work with the body because it's all part of the same system, 
right? So, so it's just a really interesting way to just work with people on a more physical level. But, you know, even if my clients are more talk therapy based clients, if they want to do a home practice, I will happily design a, a yoga flow for them to do at home or give them a meditation that's specific for what they're working on so that they can do a practice at home and start to cultivate their own home practice, which is really also another important piece for people. Yeah, absolutely. I truly believe yoga is a tool for personal growth and absolutely, you know, also acceptance. I think, you know, what's coming up for me is this message of acceptance that it's okay to accept ourselves and our feelings as they are, because Mm -hmm. the truth is, like you said, life is messy, but if you're able to accept that fact to begin with, then you're able to grow. Right. And as Glennon Doyle, who's one of my favorite authors, um, she says it's brutal, right? It's brutal and it's beautiful. And that is such a true statement of, of life, at least the life that I live, is that it really is both of those things. And we, this is part of the mindfulness practice, right? Like we have to practice non-grasping um, and non-attachment. And, you know, yeah, we'd like everything to be happy and, and fun and light and fluffy all the time. That's not real, right? And so we have to, we have to try and create a, a practice around neutrality where, yeah, we know things are going to be hard sometimes. And we also know they're going to be amazing sometimes. And that although we may have preference that we're not so attached to this, it needing to be a happy thing all the time that we avoid pain at any cost, right? Like life is just about holding all of it, right? And it's not, it's, it's not easy. It's not graceful (laughs) and, you know, but it's real. And that's the part that, you know, again, back to the normalizing it's the same for all of us, right? Like we're all going to, none of us are making it out of here alive. So we might as well be as conscious and as, as present as we can be with all of it because it's all important. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think that's really the true key to growth is just understanding, like it's going to be messy. Things are going to be hard, Mm -hmm. but if you're willing to show up and work through it, it will ultimately get better. Right. Right. Great. So I have a couple other questions for you before we wrap up. I know that, you know, self-love and self-care is a big part of what you teach and um, work with clients on. Why do you think self-care is so closely related to self-love? Well, I think, you know, for me and and how I work with people is really through self-care being the path to self-love, right? Because I work with a lot of people, whether it's coming from an addiction background, whether they love someone who's addicted, whether they've been addicted, um, or they come from a family of origin where their priorities, what they, their needs weren't prioritized because of a a dysfunctional family system. Um, and I think that part of the way that I work with people is let's start to, you know, a showing up to therapy is an act of self-love right? Like you actually believe you're valuable enough to be able to do this work, right? So 
through that practice, we start to build little small steps and it could be like, hey, how about we create a nighttime ritual of you just washing your face and brushing your teeth before bed, right? And that practice, something as simple as that small little thing, because everything that changes us is a small piece. We don't do any big sweeping gestures that change the the direction of our life. They're all small little pieces that stack on top of each other. So something as simple as like washing your face and brushing your teeth before you go to bed makes you feel like, oh, I'm taking a little bit of care of myself, right? And so that practice of self-love of something so simple ends up being a practice that then just becomes the normal way you care for yourself. And then you add, okay, I'm going to drink a little more water, or I'm going to go for a walk every day, or I'm going to, you know, stop that negative voice when I tell myself I suck, right? Like all those little practices of cultivating change and, and gearing yourself more towards self-love and self-care, um, actually self-care because you don't have to love yourself in the beginning. You just have to care for yourself. And then over time through self-care, you start to realize that you are worthy of self-love and you are worthy of other people treating you a certain way. And so really for me, self-care is the path to right. self-love. And I really, I, I work with people on small and large step stones in that journey. And I think it's really, it, it, it's powerful and it's life-changing and it's been for myself as well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, you know, it's, it's that slowing down piece and definitely like taking time to take care of yourself that I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people struggle with because Mm -hmm. again, our culture tells us be busy, you know, work hard, be a good mom, be a good spouse, be a good whatever. But it doesn't tell people like, also take care of yourself because you'll burn out. And if you have nothing left to give, then, you know, how are you serving others? Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we all, I think at this point in 2020, we're all dealing with burnout, right? Like everybody is, is pretty fried and yet we all still have to take care of ourselves and we also have to take care of each other. And it's, it's part of being a good citizen. It's part of being a good person and, and caring for yourself and caring for the people that you love. It's just, it's all layered and part of the same system. Yeah, definitely. There's so many good points that you brought up today. So I know that you're also pretty passionate about educating people. So can you tell me a little bit about the groups that you facilitate? Sure. So I, I run, um, you know, I, I also do individual couples or family therapy mm-hmm. sessions, but I, the groups that I run are women's process groups. They're women only, um, they're, they're small group sizes. So maybe six to eight people, um, maximum, because I really want to give people the, a, a close knit circle to feel safe enough to share with. They're not going to be 20 people that I used to run groups that had like 50 people in it. That's a little mm-hmm. overwhelming for vulnerability work. Yeah. Um, Um, But I run Daring Greatly groups and Rising Strong groups. And then I run uh, women's process groups. And that could be just around anything. Like, honestly, how are you doing in the middle of this pandemic, right? And just a a safe place to go and process and get support. And then I also run a monthly group for any of the graduates of the Brene Brown groups so that they can come in and once a month just meet and, and do 
continue the work because once the group ends, you know, it, it's like, okay, so now what do I do? Right. If you're, if they're not in continuing in individual therapy, they may want to come and just have another safe group to practice with because they are still doing the work. And it's interesting, those groups, you know, Daring Greatly is really about showing up for yourself. Rising Strong is, is more about like getting through something and, and, you know, it's, it's the second group after Daring Greatly, although you can do them in either order. I find that it works better if you've done Daring Greatly first and then Rising Strong. Um, and it's just more tools and more practice because really this, work is all about practice. And so again, my, my practice at this day, at this time is more focused on women's work and women's empowerment and women living their most authentic, bravest, best life. Um, and I've made that shift from working. I do see men, I'll see men in couples. And if there's a a particular man that their, their issues align well with the work that I do, I'm happy to see them, but I've stepped a little bit away from that work. Um, because I'm such a feminist, I'm so you know passionate about really empowering women to to live their best life and be their their most authentic selves. That that is really has always been a calling for me, and so I've really stepped more fully into that focus now. Yeah, definitely. So if you're interested in any of Dawn's work, maybe attending a women's group or going to therapy yourself, Dawn is just going to provide some of her contact info so you can reach her. Mm-hmm. So you can reach me at um, www.thebraveheartcenter.com. And um, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook under the same handle, The Brave Heart Center. And I am, you know, open to taking new individual couples or family clients. And I, I will be right now, I'm taking registration for my next um, women's group. And they are virtual right now because of COVID. So we will be doing them uh, on Zoom. And I do all my individual sessions currently due to COVID-19, all virtual. So uh, you can be a California client or you can be a New Jersey client. And um, I also offer coaching if people are out of those two states and interested in working with me. You're absolutely incredible. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great. checking out this episode of the solutions podcast for more episodes just like this be sure to subscribe and if you want to follow us on instagram we're at solutions pod thanks again for listening and be sure to check out our next episode